The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. Greg Vandergast joins us today. He is an international speaker on why security fails, IT quality, leadership, and strategy, a former hacker, FBI, and DOD operative, author, advisor, CISO, people, and culture enthusiast. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Awesome first name, by the way. I had to get in that plug. I know. We're, we're taking over <laughs> the world, one Greg at a time. Awesome. So I'd love to hear about your journey. I mean, that's a that's an awesome like LinkedIn profile, by the way, as far as and there's there's so much there. How did you get to the point that you're at and and why did you start in cybersecurity? Um, I started in cybersecurity 25 years ago because my sister brought home a VHS copy of the movie Hackers. And this movie taught me that if I broke into computers, I would sleep with Angelina Jolie. So as an <laughs> is, is, is that is that the one with Robert Redford, too? No, you're thinking that's sneakers. sneakers or sneakers. What's that? Sneakers. Sorry, sneakers, yeah. sneakers is very, very good. No, no, this is this is a different one. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so as an impressionable teenager, I immediately developed uh, an interest in computers and networking. And uh, yeah, a year later, I actually uh, broke into a nuclear weapons facility uh, about three weeks after they set off five atomic bombs on the ground. So it was kind of a big deal in the news and media. And uh, yeah, I got some uh, federal looking suits at my front door. Okay, so you broke in not as part of like doing authorized penetration testing. No, just no, like, Ooh, was, this is kind of cool. Sixteen or just barely seventeen at the time, I think. Uh, yeah, I was barely just just turned seventeen at the time, uh -huh. uh, and um, I moved to the U.S. not long after that, and I, I'd only shortly been in the U.S. And some gentlemen from the Defense Department came to the house, uh, and uh, they made me a job offer I couldn't refuse. They were quite adamant about the couldn't refuse part. Um, so pretty, pretty standard start. <laughs> and then the FBI joined in, uh, three years undercover with, uh, uh, the FBI and defense department, all kinds of crazy things, a lot of counterintelligence, just who's out there doing what, what are, you know, because this is before none of this stuff was, was matured. Uh, even some in the field stuff, you like uh, some really sophisticated, uh, organizations using cybercrime, uh, theft, you know, corporate espionage, aerial surveillance, uh, actual undercover meetings with microphones and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, weird and wacky stuff. Then I spent probably like 10 years being your, your typical kind of uh, IT consultant, uh, putting in a lot of security technologies, you know, with firewalls, intrusion detection, encryption, database encryption, that kind of stuff it was really big at the time. Um, but then I, I eventually progressed to the point where I was, I was responsible for my own organization. And that's where you see a lot of the culture, leadership, people, because uh, I realized a lot of the tech work that I did, which I was highly sought after and paid very highly for, was actually really low value. It was. Um, it took me a while to figure out, okay, how, how does this actually piece together and how we did all this stuff, but we didn't even understand the business process or what we were protecting, any of that. Uh, so I kind of went on this like long journey and personally also having kids and everything, the whole uh, wanting to share knowledge and, and kind of a leadership journey and how does stuff work and how does business work and how does... How does sales work? How does marketing work? Like, how do all these pieces fit together? How do I influence people? Um, and you hear a lot about, you know, security. We need to learn how to influence to get the business to do more of what we want. I think that's the first stage. And then the second stage is you kind of realize, 
oh yeah, they're actually trying to do a whole bunch of stuff themselves that I also need to understand and contribute to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of understanding all, all these business processes. And that, that led me to, um, I, I think the whole security industry is a bit fundamentally flawed in that most of what we call security is actually firefighting. Uh, if, yes. if your job is to secure an organization, you're much better off improving the business processes, like every process from the hiring process to how you sign a sale or whatever. Just go through those processes, make sure they have security embedded in them, uh, that you know where the data is going, you know where it's housed, you know that systems are being built and maintained in such a way that they're going to be relatively free of vulnerabilities or easy to maintain if they are. Uh, so that, that's kind of been, I see security as a quality function above anything else. And I see the, the, the root cause of everything is ultimately culture and people and culture. And when you say culture and security, people Im- immediately think uh, user awareness. That's not what I mean at all. It's, it's people wanting to work together, do the right thing, you know, enjoying coming to work and, and acting as a team towards a common goal. That's, that's culture to me. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. But <laughs> how, how, how do you, how do you convince a business to bake in security on the front end of whatever they do, whatever process, whether they produce widgets or a service or something, because security costs money. I mean, why would they care? Security costs money, but I'm going to argue doing security retroactively costs way more money. Uh, And in in some ways, security can actually um, free up a lot of money. If you think of, of every security vulnerability as a quality issue, um, you know, vulner- uh, security vulnerability is, is effectively a defect. It's, uh, it's a defect in code. It's a defect in the build process. It's a defect in how an organization is structured so that teams don't collaborate, don't see what each other are doing. And that's what results in these vulnerabilities. Uh, and one of the analogies I use is, you know, if you have a car factory, you have an assembly line, you've got like a hundred stations, you've got a hundred small teams of people doing different things leading to an end result. And then at the very end, you have a quality assurance person whose job is just there to make sure everything was done right. Yeah, it's good. It's all bolted together properly. And we roll it off the assembly line and sell it. Uh, And when that quality assurance person does find that, oh, the panels are on crooked, there's bolts missing, this isn't working, you forgot to put the fluids in. Well, they don't go and top it all up, especially if it's happening to every single car. They go to, okay, well, which station was supposed to bolt in the transmission because it's missing three bolts. You go and talk to those people and find out why did that happen and you solve that problem there and it doesn't happen anymore. Right. Um, in security, we do that very differently. We hire 10,000 QA people and we teach them to become mechanics, upholsterers, absolutely everything. And we have them fix all the defects as they come forever. We never actually go and fix the build processes, the business processes. And I, I even talk to security people who understand this concept, but they tell me, yeah, but that's an IT problem. And I'm like, no, security is the end result we're trying to achieve. It's not just the name of your department. And it's just what you're doing is not the only contributor to security. I think 90% of what we do in security is catching what fell through the cracks, but we should be focusing 90% of effort of there not being any cracks. Um, would, would this then be what you would think would be like the greatest, or I shouldn't say the greatest, but a significant threat for small, mid-sized business information security, not necessarily an external, but an internal on how they do things? I think, yeah, I, I would. So like, for example, well, you see, uh, so, you know, Jen Westerly in the US, head of, I forget the, the name of the agency, but you guys have a federal information security agency. One of our agendas is really to put the responsibility on, on the, the makers of products and software to securities things. 
because you know small businesses and individuals end up using these things so the, and it compounds the problem um and small organizations are often uh they're not able to hire a security team because a security team is it's not just like one person doing security there's a, the whole range of disciplines you need three four five six ten people if you're going to cover all the disciplines of security mm-hmm. there's no way a small uh, organization can do that so if instead you just get your small business small or medium businesses as um business processes and, and tech processes and how you do stuff um, to work properly, then you have far fewer security issues to work with in the end. E- even in large organizations, we have this trend where security teams grow bigger and bigger and bigger. But I think realistically, if you're fixing everything as, as far upstream as possible, the security team should actually be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Like your ideal mm-hmm. security team is basically one person who advises the business and they do everything securely and you don't need this big technical security team at the end. Now, it's, it's impossible to do that to a perfect degree, but it's something that scalability works very well for SMBs. So, so one example that came to mind, it, it would seem like if I were to distill it to make it very simple for a small, mid-sized business, you have information. That information has value. That information presents threat. If you can understand first of all where your information is second of all then you can control it you can you can protect it but also if you are holding on to information that you don't need then why not get rid of it so these are the almost the basic blocking and tackling things that you're talking about yeah i think to be fair like i don't work i work in startups but i work, don't really work in like your typical small to medium size enterprise but I, I've seen those situations, and that's a perfect example. Like, why give yourself it's a very simple business process? I don't need this. Get rid of it. And you've just saved yourself the effort of having to contain and secure and monitor and log and do all these things with that data. So, yeah, and absolutely. It's so hard. Process. Yeah, and it's so hard to get over the idea, though, of just like, uh, well, we, we've always done it that way. And and, yeah. and we we need to... Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can sell necessarily. If you've got a, you, you were talking about patron, people and culture before. How can you effectively um, move that ship a little bit and a little bit of a different direction? Convince them that hey, if you don't, it, it, we'll get, we'll stay with the information risk for a moment here. If you don't need that information, get rid of it. How do you convince them? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think at the, at the end of the day, it's a business. It's a simple financial proposition. It's like, look, do you want to spend $10 now or do you want to f- once or do you want to spend $5 a year for the next forever? And that $5 is going to be 10, 15, 20. Uh, it's only going to compound the, the worse this program, this problem gets. So the, the sooner you start getting those practices in, uh, you've now established that pipeline. You, you have a business process or a series of all your business processes that has the correct outcomes that will minimize exposure no matter what you put into that pipeline. And the sooner you do that, the less you're going to have mounting up at the end. You know, this is how even small companies, startups that are three, four years old already have immense amounts of technical debt sometimes just because they haven't made that initial investment. And you think, oh, we'll, we'll worry about it later. But it's like you're actually within the same funding round, you know, a, a $20 million uh, funded company will have spent an extra two or three million just already of stuff they need to manage. That's, you know, it's it's not a long, it's it's never as long as a time period as you think it's going to be before um, 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, you, think it's, it's, you think that stuff's going to bite you in the butt like 10 years down the line, but it, it actually starts pinching you much sooner than that. You just don't realize it. And then it just kind of creeps up on you and it's, it's the way we've always done it. And then it's very difficult to change it. Now embedded in that is some very good advice for security folks here. And that is that if you're going to try to move that ship, you have to start from the premise of speaking in terms of the business, not in terms of the technology. How, how would you help a too technical CISO, for example, understand that? Um, the first thing I would do, and it's, it's funny because I've had situations where uh, I've been brought into companies and the best thing I could do for that company was literally just coach and mentor that CISO. Uh, read about, you know, read about marketing, read about sales, get, read a, like, get a book about like uh, just a pocket MBA type thing, just understanding business, how it works, how those people in those other departments, how the executive think, what they worry about. They really don't care about the number of firewall rules that were triggered. Exactly. Exactly. They care about the data. How does this look on paper? How can I, you know, I've managed to make, uh, turn the security function around where, um, the company was mo like I had a, a commercial person inside the security team just to do marketing about the security proposition of our brand. And in the UK, where I am, it was a German company in the UK, 90% of the brand awareness was from security. Uh, and we even won some big tenders where they would come to us and they weren't interested in security, but we made them aware of what we were doing and why, and we're transparent about it. And you know, we did market research about their sector and this and that. And then they went to our competitors and said, well, what are you guys doing? And uh, well, we have this piece of paper that says that we're certified. So, okay, but can, can we actually see? Do you have this program? Do you have this team structured like those guys and this whole stack of services? Mm -hmm. No, and we made them realize, actually, we, we'd rather be with those guys because they seem to really, even just on the security part, they seem to really know what they're doing, which also helps the rest of the business because they assume, well, if the security team really knows what they're doing, probably the rest of the company knows what they're doing as well. Yes. And that's actually won us business, even though security was never even part of the original tender. It's, it comes down, to, I think, a component could be communication as well, too. If you've got two that are oh. equal, the one that can communicate better is going to be the one who wins. And um, Absolutely. Uh, I, one of the things I do now is I help security vendors position uh, products with some strategic value. So I'll give you a very simple example, vulnerability management tool. Oh, it finds which systems haven't been patched. And then you can, you can patch those systems versus, oh, it finds systems that haven't been patched. And then you can inquire why they haven't been patched, pull on that thread, see what's maybe wrong with your patching process or infrastructure. And, oh, that's okay, but it's actually your asset management platform or your, your procurement process that's not tied in together. And you can fix those at the source and then, avoid 500 systems from becoming unpatched because they weren't caught by the automatic process. That's a much bigger value proposition. It's the exact same tool, but you just sold it with a bigger value proposition. It's getting sunny out. I can see it glaring. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it was almost like that your words had an angelic quality to it. Well, I think understanding the, the language of business, I mean, obviously uh, interpersonal communication skills, understanding the language of business. Uh, but I think you were aiming more at like just like basic personal communication. Um, and I've had so many practitioners come to me, Oh, but I don't report to the CFO. I don't report to the CIO. I don't do this. I don't do that. 
during talks. And that's when I, I just point to a random person in the audience when I do a talk. I said, you, what's your name? And Who? Yes, yes, you. Uh, Steve. Steve, I like your watch, Steve. Steve, I'd like to tell you something. Can I buy you a cup of coffee after this? And they're like, yeah, okay. Boom. I mean, I asked, is, is everyone in this room married to their boss? I mean, you, there was someone you didn't know, you didn't report to, and you managed to initiate a conversation with them. Right. Uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about the problems and you, you think you have answers and you need some support to do them, then engage those people. Buy, you know, pay them a compliment, buy them a cup of coffee, and then propose your solution. Educate yeah. yourself about what, you know, what they care about a little bit first. But just reach out and, and touch those people because otherwise a lot of people use the excuse of, oh, I just don't report to the right place so I can't do anything. It's just not true. You can, you can be an influencer at any level of the organization and you can always improve your communicative abilities. I know um, one of the most important things I think I did in information security on that realm was to join Toastmasters. You're familiar with Toastmasters, right? I am familiar with now, Toastmasters. Now, Toastmasters, of course, they, it's, it's considered a speaking organization. But what I really learned from there was more about how to listen. And also that when I did talk, that I would tend to be a little bit more exact. One of my favorite parts of tabletop of uh, Toastmasters was tabletop exercises, where you had to you were given a topic and you had two to three minutes to just say whatever. But I think that security folks need to understand that yes, they can they can get outside of their comfort zone of what they are experts at and be effective communicating, even if you don't have that direct line of communication to yeah. the. Uh, well, oh, you, you mentioned you mentioned speaking. So yeah. I wanted to uh, pivot on that. So so what what do you speak on nowadays? Um, I speak on mostly about um, a lot of what, what we discussed earlier, like what I see are some of the issues with the security industry. Um, you know, this, this whole we're, we're we're constantly firefighting more than securing. Uh, we're very focused on the technology, but very little on the process. You know, uh, I've, I've lost count of the number of times where I've gone to, into an organization and you go talk to the CISO or head of information security and you you ask them, well, what's your what's your sales process? You know, because this is where your salespeople, you know, A, they got information from marketing, which they collected from various sources. They go out, they initiate conversations with people. You get deals. You talk about your products, your development cycles, uh, a lot of sensitive information, then you sign a deal, then now you have contractual info, legal info, personal info, financial info, where's it going, who's handling it, a lot of really critical stuff. And the security people, no, we've, we've never thought of that or looked at that. Like, but you've been here almost 10 years and you don't know how a lot of the most sensitive, important, certainly for your bosses, business processes operate. Um, so I think that that's part of it, just that kind of being more business-led rather than technology risk-led. Um, and the whole looking at things, uh, I think the, the quality thing is a, is a thing I've termed more recently, but just going as far upstream as possible uh, and, and trying to get that engagement, A, uh, also how to build programs to achieve this, which is a few hour session on itself. Um, and in, in some ways I've almost given up a little bit uh, I, I call it the 0.1% because that's I, the probably pessimistic uh, percentage of organizations that I feel are actually willing uh, to do and want to really do security proactively. Um, now I work with a lot of vendors and I'm, I'm, 
I don't want to say shocked, but really not surprised. In fact, of the number of uh, like, I know some great solutions and they give a lot of visibility and specifically like CISOs don't want those solutions because they, they know what it's going to show and they don't want to be accountable for it. And it's a real shame. Yeah, uh, that is. And, so, and so now I, finish, please. No, I was going to say that's a whole soapbox thing for me where it's like <laughs> you should be. Uh, we had a, we had an instance where um, we were running a tabletop exercise for one group and it was only the IT folks that were there. I said that you know, we, we wanted to have the whole organization there and we start running through it and they ended up stopping it because they said, we know where our vulnerabilities are. We just don't want management to know about it. And I'm like, I have failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's very it's very sad. And like how you know when when your CISO is the one blocking visibility to your security issues. Um, I, I I just yeah, it was it was it was disheartening. But again, yeah. there there I it, I think that one of the one of the most important uh, from what I gather from what you say too is that um, one of the more overlooked things that a CISO or anybody in security. Um, well, one of the things that they will overlook more often than not is it's so important to know the business, understand the business, not just not just understand the information and where it flows, but the why behind the business as well. Yeah. Well, a, I'm sure poorly defined role. Uh, and unfortunately, it, it's not what um, the people the people who are hiring a CISO, so you, which I really feel should be the executive, should understand that there's a strategic business role that needs to understand and be involved in, in the business. Uh, and a lot of CISOs complain that they don't have that, but it, the reality is, would you really want it? And what would you do if you had that authority? Well, and and to your point, it's it's misnamed because just about every CISO out there is a chief of nothing. They're not reporting to the CEO. Yeah. And and the further down, I mean, that you are a CISO in name only, you don't have that authority, and then you don't have that responsibility as well either. But uh, to your point, it's like, do you really want that? So be careful what you ask for, I guess. Yeah. So I love all how we'll work alongside with responsible for information security. We'll work alongside so and so. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> if, if I'm responsible, <laughs> I'm in charge of it. Well, with with all of this, um, information security, cybersecurity, and certainly I'm I'm also fully aware that uh, speaking in and of itself can sometimes be stressful. Sometimes speaking is a good outlet as well, too. But but what's I think it's important for folks to understand that they need to sometimes step away from cybersecurity and and uh, and and just reload, decompress. What's one thing that you do to help reload? I and decompress? Am, uh, and the more you know me, the more you realize all my analogies are car analogies because I am a massive what the UK we call petrol head. <laughs> um, all my time is spent tinkering cars, talking about cars. 99% of my friends I know through car groups. Vacations are European road trips in cars. Uh, it's all cars. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of a lifelong, uh, lifelong passion. And uh, just, just you know, either driving to clear your head or tinkering and getting you know, really focused in on something and you, you can't think of anything else. And you, you, you actually built it. I think it's one thing with security is it, it's kind of, it's it's cyber it's virtual you don't actually build something in your hand so if you go to a beautiful place or you fix something and you're taking something apart in your hand it's it's more fulfilling somehow 
you know, it's kind of interesting because this rarely happens. But earlier this month, we had someone on Carlota Sage, who also is like very much into car tinkering. She was talking about um, uh, putting in a new engine in a Mazda RX-7 or something or another and brake lines and this and that. And there's a lot of information security analogies with that as well, too. So not only do we have multiple Gregs, but we have multiple hobbies this month. So that's just a bonus. I, I know Carlota. I didn't know she was a petrolhead, though. Ah, okay. Very good. So you guys have probably already talked about cars in the past. I don't know, but I know, uh, you know, I'm not actually connected to her, but if I, God, I know, I'm sure I've spoken to her before. Yes. I recognize her face as well. Well, then yeah. y'all need to get together and talk cars. I'll reconnect. So. Thank you for that. So outside of getting another LinkedIn connection there and talking about cars, any other future uh, plans that you have? Like, for example, uh, what's on the speaking agenda? So a lot of, uh, as I was, uh, I, I got sidetracked before. So what I'm focusing on now is some of the things I, that motivate me in the industry is just how bad things are and wanting to make a difference. Um, and um, I realized one of the avenues, like a, a lot of people in, uh, in IT and security, you go in, you point stuff out. They're not very receptive. When you do talk about you know, business and a strategic approach to things, it sounds strange to them. They're not familiar with it. Um, and when you do highlight things, yeah, they, they do feel a bit threatened. But what I realized is that um, I was getting two kinds of, when I was doing like VCSO type work, I was getting two kinds of engagements. The first one just wanted me to write a, a bunch of policies so they could pass their audit without actually doing any of the work. And the second wanted to just randomly implement some silver bullet solution. Uh, and I prefer working... I don't like working for either, but I preferred the second one because the second mm -hmm. one actually believed that they what they were putting in was going to help them. Uh, whereas the first one know that writing a policy and sticking in a drawer isn't going to do anything. Uh, and the second one was also like they believed in it enough to actually be spending money on it. Right. Uh, and that led me to vendors. I was like, you know, vendors, like they sell their point solutions. But what if I go and talk to vendors and help them create uh, some more strategic narratives that they can then pass on to, you know, the head of InfoSec who hadn't thought about using his vulnerability management tool that year or, or that way, or didn't realize he could get extra value or see additional things or fix all these problems that are weighing him down by instead fixing that one thing. So to, to help, um, help vendors be seen as more valuable and help them sell, but also by, by educating and providing a lot of value um, to the CISOs that they sell to. And that allows me to, through the vendors, help more people uh, mm -hmm. and also help the vendors sell a little bit and actually make some money and the living off of it, which is nice. So that, that's yes. kind of the direction I'm, I'm going in now, which I never would have thought because you know, if you go back five, six years ago, I was like, so fed up with vendors, screw vendors. We don't need more tools. That's not our biggest problem. Uh, whereas now they've kind of become the solution or at least the select vendors, as I call them, who want to build relationships with their customers, want to invest in helping uh, maybe educate their customers, become better CISOs and deliver better strategies and support those strategies. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. So if you are a vendor and you'd like some, some help selling your product <laughs> with some narratives uh, and do some good in this industry, please be in touch. Yeah. Well, my, well, my... well, well uh, how can they get in touch with you? Since, since uh, 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 You can find me on LinkedIn or there's actually a website, uh, gregvandergast.com. Would you believe that that domain name was available? 
Oh, that's awesome. I think I tried to get GregSafer.com. Uh, I got I got info, but .com was taken, and I don't know by yeah, who. Schaefer's going to but... be a bit more uh, common than Vendergast. So, uh, it, I always, it I, is. I in my name when I was little. And now, now because it's unique as a personal brand thing, it's it's better. So, <laughs> really appreciate it. There's there's always a plus side to everything, or just yeah. about everything. You just see it. Well, Greg, we could talk for another hour and a half, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. Awesome. Well, everybody, stay secure. <laughs>